We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And happy Wednesday. Greetings. Thanks for tuning in tonight on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We love to know what you think about what we think. So tell us. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We're going to go inside politics with Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review coming up here in about 15 minutes. And we're going to cover several different topics throughout the course of this evening. Of course, it's a Wednesday. That means we have a Worldview Wednesday coming up in hour number three as well. So make sure you stay tuned for all of that and more. I want to begin tonight, though, with, with this story. The owner of an Illinois bed and breakfast who came under fire after they refused to host a fake uh, wedding or commitment, whatever you want to call it, for homosexuals, has suffered a legal setback after a panel with the Illinois Human Rights Commission declined to hear his appeal. Jim Walder, who is the owner of the Timber Creek Bed and Breakfast in Paxton, Illinois, was forced to pay $30,000 to this homosexual couple after the agency determined he had discriminated against them with his refusal to host their event. 
Even after the setback, though, Walder says he plans to fight on and to appeal to the full commission. He believes hosting the event would hamper his religious freedom. Walder said he feels there's a blatant reverse discrimination that targets business owners, especially Christian ones. And considering the ties, he said the review panelists have, I guess several of them are openly homosexual activists. He believes that they are biased. However, the government doesn't agree with his assessment. And not only now do they want him to pay the $30,000 that they originally fined him. They now want him to pay an additional $50,000 in attorney attorney fees. That's $80,000. There's only one way this is going to stop. And it's the only way throughout history it's ever stopped. Well, Steve, are you saying if we're discrimination? This isn't discrimination. When I when I when I go to get gas and the sign in the front door says no shirt, no shoes, no service, is that discrimination? Are are we discriminating against the naked? The unwashed, the profane? You have a right to say no to services that violate your terms of service. That's called freedom. Business in America. It is the service that this couple is asking for that is the issue. Not themselves. It's the service. He's not saying because you are same-sex attracted, I'm not going to rent you a room. So you're going to sleep out in the out, out in the barn. It's the service they want to use his private property to promote a morality he says is wrong. Similar to fashion designers who say they don't want to have to dress Melania Trump for the inauguration because they're offended by her husband's politics. They don't have to. That's America. Good. But this works both ways. Of course, most of you listening to me tonight recognize this. But when you're dealing with people immersed in the thralls of progressive heresy, there is no reasoning. You can make cases like Should government force a black caterer to cater a white supremacist conference? I mean, if a couple neo-Nazis walk in to a bakery owned by a black guy, and all they want to do, man, is buy a couple of Bismarcks, or maybe a Long John, as much as he may be disgusted by them, he can't say, because you're white, I'm not selling you anything. But if they walk in and say, hey, we want to hire you to cater our racist conference, neo-Nazi conference down the street. Yes, he can say no. Because now it is not merely a product that he is selling to them, but it is a service of them, of him they are demanding.
It's why we wouldn't walk into a deli and tell a Jewish deli owner he's got to sell only kosher. He can't sell any kosher foods anymore. Discriminates against Gentiles. Or he's got to add non-kosher foods to the menu, which means he has to handle them in violation of his religious conscience. I know this is rudimentary and simple to many of you. But to those who believe in the moral superiority of their immorality, and that therefore they can use the coercive force of government to impose their will on you, narrow-minded bigots, so that you will be made to care, it's not so easy. They can't be reasoned with. For the same reason you you can't reason with a Jehovah Witness at your door. People in cults can't be reasoned with. They have to be defeated. Now, how has this been defeated in the past? Well, certainly you have a level of freedom in our country that you haven't had as believers and others. You can counter-sue for harassment, all kinds of other things. That may or may not work. Who knows? I know, though, of one method that always works. Oh, it is not pain-free. It, it will create conflict. Maybe even suffering to the ones who use it. But I can't think of a single time this method has been used that it has lost. And it's as simple as all get out. Now, it's not easy, okay? It's not easy. But it's as simple as it gets. In fact, it's a one-syllable word. No. No. All of the civil rights revolution began because a 29-year-old seamstress got on a bus one day and she'd had a bad day, didn't want to put up with it anymore. And when they told her to sit on the back of the bus, she didn't blog, didn't jump on her smartphone and post a sternly worded Facebook status. She simply looked at her racist oppressors and said, no, no. Now, understand, the coercive force of government, the one word they don't like being told is no, okay? So they're not just going to immediately say, okay, well, thanks, and move on. Oh, no. No, they they don't like that. You might get crucified upside down. You might get thrown into a vat of boiling oil. Uh, they might drop you off on some deserted island somewhere to live out the rest of your days and die. They might throw you to the lions. Not my Detroit lions, the real ones. Uh, they, they, they might do lots of bad things. Might put you in a jail cell. Congratulations, you have good company. Some of the most eloquent words in the history of Christendom were written under either house arrest or in a prison cell. That's like the honor roll in Christianity. Now, I know for we American Christians, and everything's handed to us, and, you know, it's our best life now, right? And it's all about, you know, um, you know uh, our prosperity. I know, I know this is anathema. I know. And that's because your Christianity is anathema to the actual Christianity. This is what we're here to do. We're here to say no in these situations. No. 
Christianity has always been spread, real, the real faith, has always been spread by those who were willing to say to tyrannical regimes of this world, no. No. And the beauty of saying no in this world is, it's on television. Everybody gets to see it. We're going to have to make them come after us for our faith in a real way, in a way that, that people have to watch it. They got to see the clip. It has to move them. But to do that, and, and, and we have done this before, and it can move a culture, but we have to have the courage to say no. Mr. Walder shouldn't give this government entity a red cent. No. You're listening to Steve Dace. Trying to trick the libs with the truth. Hey, I'm not falling for that. It's Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Speaking of which, time to go inside politics with Conservative Review's own Daniel Horowitz. Welcome back, my friend. How are you? I'm doing all right, and congratulations on reaching your new frontier. Thank you very much. We're pretty psyched. Uh, in fact, I'll have a little update to, for the audience coming up uh, later on in the show tonight. And I'm going to try and keep people up to date on this creative process as much as I can. I, I, I want to make sure I don't say too much, obviously. But uh, given the amount of reaction we received to this announcement, i got to believe there's at least a few people in the audience that wouldn't mind every updates every now and then on how things are going. Plus, you know, if, if I knew somebody was getting a movie made, I'd be curious. I'm a big movie buff. What's it really like? You know, so I would imagine there's some other people out there that are interested in doing so. But I'll, I'll try to do so. Aaron, hold me accountable on this. I will try to do so in a way that is either not too self-aggrandizing or I sound like Chris Farley. It's great, right? So I don't <laughs> want to be fanboy or a total canoe giving myself helmet stickers all the time. So Understood. we'll try to walk a very fine line. All right, so, Daniel, we're now into, what is it, uh, week four of the Trump transition. I, I ask you this every single week before we get into specifics. Your overall view of where things currently stand. <laughs> back and forth and back and forth. I'm telling you, you know, last week you said you were in a bad mood about it, and this week things are looking up somewhat. Um, again, basically, same contours as it relates to national security, immigration. Things are looking up as it relates to... Fiscal conservatism, things are looking down. Um, the one exception to that, in my mind, the first uh, you know, non-defense, security-oriented domestic policy cabinet pick, Scott Pruitt for EPA, that was pretty darn solid. I mean, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no bones about that. All right, so tell I us who Scott Pruitt is. Attorney General of Oklahoma, this is a guy that along with people like Ken Cuccinelli – Cuccinelli, yeah, our mutual friend, um, sued both the, the Obamacare regs in court, sued all the environmental regs. So you're basically, for, from the left's perspective, this is like bringing the fox into the hen house. It's kind of like having Jeff Sessions in tar- charge of the Justice Department, having the guy who went after the overzealous EPA say, you know what, now you're going to run the place. So... Now let's put this in the context of the troubling news we had from a couple of days ago 
of Ivanka Trump meeting with Al Gore on phony climate change. And apparently Donald himself uh, ended up making himself a part of the meeting and things of that nature. And that has you know, a lot of people on our side rightfully uh, either uh, mystified, stewing or worried. But in light of this particular appointment, what does it tell us about that meeting? And and how much of this do you think is Trump is just enjoying, whether it's Mitt Romney or it's Al Gore? Uh, today it was Alberto Gonzalez, I guess. Is, is how much is Trump enjoying watching and just having uh, the political intelligentsia uh, make the hodge to Trump Tower? How much of that is driving this stuff? Oh, so much of it is. And I think this is the problem for so many of us, myself included, where ideology, politics, policy is everything. It's really nothing with Trump. And that's why the rules of engagement don't apply to him. The entire political rule book has been thrown out. So this is going to be a guy where he'll come out for a couple of days with statements, indications from his administration, some officials doing things that in any other administration – would be indicative of a very clear, irrevocable policy in one direction. But in his case, it just doesn't matter. So you could have a scenario where he's simultaneously doing good and bad things on labor, doing good and bad things on environment. And I think that's why it's so important for conservatives to get their allies like Pruitt in there, find their silos, quietly do good stuff, and hope for the best, you know, despite some of his public statements that will be totally off message, if not contradictory to some of those goals. When are we going to know when to overreact? I mean, along the the lines of what you were just talking about, when are we going to know when to lose it? I I really think you have to wait till the first month. I don't even think the first 90 days, but I'd say the first 30 days. This is all a pregame show. It's really nothing new. I mean, his comments on immigration today, you know, sounding like Lindsey Graham on the Dream Act. He said that before, but then he'll go and appoint good guys and you know, appoint sessions and say good things. The guy just doesn't know the policy, and he certainly doesn't know how to express it. So I don't think you could judge anything until he actually starts executing policies. In other words, he gets in there. Does he push for full repeal of Obamacare? Does he get rid of some of the executive amnesty? Does he shut down refugee resettlement? Or does he immediately start pushing for his porculus? I think it's going to take until after January 20th to find out. You mentioned the porculus. That will be his infrastructure program. And is this essentially going to be Trump's new deal? I think what you're starting to see with Trump is a dichotomy between the two wings of socialism. So on the one hand, he appears to be pretty good on regulations. I think that's been pretty consistent, embodied through the Pruitt pick um, and some other decisions he's made, some other policies. He's spoken pretty well on repealing Dodd-Frank. But when it comes to subsidization and cronyism, that's where we have our work cut out for ourselves. And I think that's where you're going to see spreading money out to a lot of his friends, just like Obama did, but maybe a little different uh, uh, type of sector. Um, and, and I think the porculus, the trillion-dollar infrastructure plan, is going to be front and center with that. And, and, and you know, I, I want to go back to the messaging aspect of it as well, is because because I don't know how much of this do you think is – this is just 
uh, this is just how erratic his behavior is? How much of this is, as the great prophet Chuck D once said, we're just going to keep their heads ringing. We're just going to get, get, it's flag burning. It's, uh, you know, we're going to deport people who burn flags. It's a 35% tariff scheme. And I'm just telling you right now, Mitch McConnell's Senate will issue a decree saying, I am the greatest conservative talk show host in America before they pass a 35% tariff scheme. I think you and I both know that. Okay. So how much of this is just using social media to drive a message that just keeps the media at bay or forces them to continue to discredit themselves with a meltdown over every outlandish thing I say? And how much of this is just an erratic guy who's reacting to what he sees on cable news from inside his own office? Yeah, I've come to learn throughout this election cycle that he is clearly a much better master manipulator of the media than I originally thought. I thought a lot of this was random, you know, gaffes. He's this is clearly deliberate. There's no question about it. So I think it's definitely media manipulation, but it is only enabled by his lack of ideology. Normally someone who has strong beliefs, at least on a few issues, is incapable of saying things that he knows to be off message. But he doesn't care about that. His message is reality TV. This is all, like you originally said, making reality TV great again. This is why many of us opposed him in the primary. But I do think now that we're here, there are going to be ancillary benefits for it. And that's our job to take as many victories as we can get. Right now, under Obama and under the establishment Republicans, we have zero conservatism on all three legs of the stool. Let's see if we can get some bones on security and a couple other things. I want to pick up the conversation right there when we come back, because I do think this sort of erratic messaging that did him harm as a candidate might actually help him when it comes to being president. I'll explain why. Get your take on it next. You're listening to Steve Dace. He's standing up for your rights and telling you the way it is. This man is an American hero. Steve Dace. Back here with Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review, taking us inside politics here on the Steve Dace Show on the Salem Radio Network. So, Daniel, we were talking about trying to figure out when we're supposed to lose it or not, because you've got the media out there literally birthing cows on a daily basis based off of whatever the latest troll tweet from Donald Trump may be. And we saw this during the campaign. But but I'm of the mind, and I wrote about this actually for CR a few days ago. I actually think his erratic messaging, while it did him harm as a candidate, uh, and is, 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 is why he didn't win by a larger margin, right? We talked during the campaign, there was this constant tension with undecided voters between corrupt and crazy. And typically people will choose corrupt over crazy. And it looked after the debates like that was going to happen resoundingly. And then you had the Comey letter. One more reminder of Hillary's corruption. And then Trump, for the la- those last couple of weeks after the Comey letter, didn't do anything crazy, which allowed the lingering doubts, the corruption doubts surrounding Hillary to linger for those last two weeks. And then they outworked her down the stretch and pulled off, you know, a one in a million election, right? So, but I think now that he's, now that he has the largest bully pulpit in the world at his disposal, I think his erratic messaging comes to his defense. For example, you know, if he wants to put up, if he wants to put some federal circuit court judge on there that uh, is from the Daniel Horowitz uh, Hall of Fame, you know, uh, list of acceptable nominations, that might be its own news cycle one day. 
and and the and the in the entire liberal media industrial complex brings the full fury of hell of 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 the uh of 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 the uh, hell spawn from which they come uh, down upon the white house for daring to put a constitutionalist there except the morning before he does that trump can just go on twitter and say you know, I think we're going to just end school lunches because the ketchup is ketchup has too many carbs and people will lose it. And then he just makes his judicial nomination. and It's like the fourth story on the list because he can manipulate in this way. I mean, if Ted Cruz came out with President Cruz ran a came out with maybe we'll deport people for a flag burning. No one would believe it is true and everybody would know it. But with Trump, he's erratic enough. You think that he might be serious about all this crazy stuff. So this gives him a chance to keep the media off the scent. I'm all for that, but I do worry. When and if the time comes that some of his authoritarian tendencies worry us, where is where where if there is no legitimate fourth estate in America anymore because they've been discredited, largely if not ninety percent because of their own malfeasance and bias, then where is the mechanism to hold Mr. Trump accountable? Should indeed he go off on some some real authoritarian bent as president, where would that exist if there is no media credibility anymore? Wow, Steve, I mean, that really covers both sides of this debate, and I think they're both right. I think we were right during the primaries, during even the general election, to raise concerns about him, about his his um, his whole way of going about doing things, his ideology or lack thereof, um, not just for conservatism but the authoritarian streak. But in the short run, if we play our cards right, there is an element of what some of our friends – who disagreed with us were saying that was true. And that's if you use him as a vehicle, not to buy into his nonsense with the pom-poms, but to use him as a vehicle, you could enact some good stuff that you probably wouldn't be able to do with any serious principle conservative. If I wouldn't know any better, I think that Trump read Proverbs. I mean, just off the top of my head, 23.9 comes to comes to mind speak not in the ears of a fool for he will despise the wisdom of thy words and this is the problem that conservatives have run up against for decades we have the facts we have the arguments we have the law we have the constitution and they just have like you said the media industrial complex just crushes us trump comes in there and just passes gas and they don't know what to do with it i i remember seeing hillary uh, at the first debate and I saw in her eyes the frustration that I remember Ted Cruz and some of the Republicans had. They just didn't know what to do with the guy. He'll make things up, take both sides, contradict himself within two sentences, and they just don't – Shameless. They, not prepared. He's just shameless, yeah. And, and I had some – there were some guys that bought into the cult of personality, but there was an element of people that said, look, yeah, I don't buy into him, but I think you know we've lost the game in the media. This is a way to change the game. I think there's what to harness, but the question is, like you said, where's the limit? There's got to be a point where there's a safety valve, and we don't all get sucked into him because the same way he'll you know, hoodwink the liberal media, he'll get us sucked in too. So I think the first step is getting good people around him, and you know, it's kind of a mixed bag so far. Yeah, I mean, at some point, when, whether you like Trump or you don't, there is no denying he is a force of nature, right? And 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 so is fire okay and and fire can be particularly this time of year if you live in the northeast as you do or the upper midwest as i do fire can be a very useful tool uh this time of year right but what happens if it goes unbridled right and so i'm i'm all for the the implosion of 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 the false narrative spewing fake news media that we have suffered under for decades in this country i'm all for it 
and and he's done us a tremendous even even if even if his presidency presidency turns out to be every bit as bad as I feared it was going to be throughout the entire election, he's done us a solid by blowing these people up. I think you and I would both agree on that. But when but at some point, if he goes off the reservation, you know that force of nature. If you unleash it, and if it is not harnessed, it doesn't necessarily discriminate about which house it burns down. Daniel, you know what I'm trying to say. No, exactly. I mean, it's like Satan who comes to destroy doesn't uh, differentiate between the good and bad. And, and that's kind of what a French Revolution is. But I'm just saying now that we must deal with what we're confronted with, he is the president. I think we have to actualize what was the original hope of some of his supporters, that he would be the bulldozer. And then you could so-called get back to conservatism later. But but just to be clear. We can't sit back passively and hope for that to happen. You have to make it happen. And this is why I think it's actually important to push things like the Convention of the States. All right, stay right there. We're up against a break. We'll come back with more in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Listening to it will make you feel American. Hallelujah. It's the Steve Day Show. Back here on the Steve Day Show, you know, chances are your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your values, and that's why Patriot Mobile was created to give conservatives like you a chance to put your money where your values are. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talking and texting as well as high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices. And they'll donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization that you choose. That means you're going to get the same quality service, the latest and greatest phones, competitive prices, but now you get all of that for the causes that you believe in. So go to PatriotMobile.com. That's PatriotMobile.com. Or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. That's 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to make that switch, please use the promo code STEVE to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. All right, more here with Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review, taking us inside politics. Daniel, we're still awaiting word. Uh, we had the uh, Secretary of Defense nomination come down since you and I last spoke. That's uh, General Mattis. We're still awaiting word on who will be Secretary of State. Do you have a favorite among the names that are listed or not? There's only one choice for conservatives. You look at the names, and that is John Bolton. Now, I will say up front that he is more of an interventionist than I am. I've heard him speak on Syria and, you know, where I believe on. Is he a neocon? Because neocon has come to, come to believe now or come to me now a foreign policy guy that I don't agree with. That's pretty much what it is. Exactly. It's a way of venting your frustration. I mean, I think he shares some of the views, but, but many of the views he does not. Uh, and, and the point is, whatever you dislike about John Bolton, you have that in every other choice, plus a lot of other bad stuff that he doesn't have. He has the most experience. He is a guy who will wake up at 5 in the morning every day and work this. He's a hard worker. He, he, believes, in, he believes in this. He's been working this his whole life. Um, I'm concerned about Rohrenbacher and his love fest with Putin. I mean, I'm seeing stuff tweeted by reporters that I actually trust. I can't believe some of the stuff. This guy is like, seriously... I mean, if I were if I were in Vladimir Putin's security detail, I would want to get a restraining order against this guy. He'd be on my do not fly list. Like, I mean, is he is he is he going to seriously hump the leg of our dict our precious dictator over here? 
No, and, and that's that's the point. You want people that speak to the weaknesses of Trump and go in the other direction. So I think where you have that is Pompeo, a CIA director. Pompeo is very anti-Russia. He's anti-China as well. Um, General Mattis hates Iran's guts more than anyone around. So he is certainly not going to get drawn into this pro-Russian stuff because Russia is basically propping up Iran. So that's the thing. John Bolton is the guy unless there's some sort of dark horse. All right, so... If I said this the other day on the air, and I actually had a friend of Trump's uh, tell me that uh, he couldn't believe when I said this, but you tell me if you agree or disagree. If we come out of this administration's transition, because to me the three most important appointments from are defense, state, and, a, and AG. Those are the three most powerful positions. Would we agree on that on some level? Uh, yeah, I okay. mean— uh, so if you understand, if you understand, like I don't like a lot of his appointments, but what I've noticed is a lot of his appointments are in departments I really could care less about, uh, or or if I do care about them, they're a lot further down the list of the three that I just mentioned. So in the big three, if you came out of this with Bolton, Mattis, and Sessions, I don't know that President Cruz could have done any better than that. Am I wrong? No, that is actually uh, I, I agree with that statement. I remember seeing that tweet and thinking, man, you know, you're going to get a lot of uh, strong reactions on both sides for that. But I agree with you. Um, as far as the fiscal policy ones, I mean, you're going to see labor and. Oh, trust. I think those are like almost all of those are dreadful. They're, they're dreadful. Yeah. But then again, they're not that powerful in the sense that they're going to go with the direction of the White House. And if the White House thinks on those issues, which it appears it will. Um, well, I mean, the Department of Labor or Interior people aren't going to be the face of domestic economic policy. The guy in the White House is. But yeah. in those other three positions, they will be the face of American policy. That's why I think there's a it, th those three positions I just mentioned, state, Dep state, defense and AG. They come with their own. The reason why I think there is they're the three most powerful positions in our executive branch, other than the presidency itself, is because they're the only three that come with their own real bully pulpit. You know what I'm trying to say? The ability to influence hearts and minds and change policy with the use of that bully pulpit. Other than the presidency, they're the only three federal jobs that have that. And I think in recent years, if you put a number four slot, it would be Homeland Security. Sure. So you know that. Now they made an appointment there today. Another another Marine general, actually. What did you think? The jury's still out. I think if Kobach is made deputy, then he's the Secretary of State in Kansas that a lot of uh, conservatives across the country love. Yeah, he he is Mister Immigration. There is nobody in the country who knows more about immigration than him. He's the guy that I, that got me into immigration. I used to watch him at congressional hearings and say, "Man, I want to be like him when I grow up." Uh, you know, he'd take on Chuck Schumer and everything. But as far as General Kelly. There's two aspects. There's the actual border security, and then there's immigration policy. Some of us are concerned that he doesn't really know anything or has no paper trail on immigration policy. Why would he? And this is a sphere of policy that if you don't know anything about it, no, no good could come out of it. But as far as border security, um, he was the head of Southern Command of the U.S. military. So that – you know, deals with the the southern part of the Western Hemisphere. He wants to treat border security like a military operation, which it should be. So he is really good on that. And I think if we can get Kobach or someone similar in there as deputy, or maybe even a Steve King, um, then that would make a perfect uh, duo. I really think the reasons why I the reason why I may sound more optimistic than some others on our own team is. I, I had basement-dwelling, cannibalistic, humanoid, underground-dwelling expectations. 
right? I think I think your your built-in expectation level probably has a lot to do with your level of optimism. And but on top of that, I, I would trade a culture warrior at AG for nine Secretary of Interior appointments. And I and I would make that trade because I'm acknowledging up front. We didn't elect a, conser- a constitutional conservative president of the United States. So I'm going to take what I can get. Know what I'm trying to say? Exactly. And as far as limited government and fiscal policy, this is why I would encourage any solid warrior. We always wonder, do you put him in the Senate? Do you put him on the Supreme Court? Do you put him in a cabinet? Run for governor. we got to make states great again. That's where we got to win back the country. And I think that's why in your Iowa there, it would be great if a guy like Steve King could run. <laughs> I'd be all in for that. That's for sure. Good to talk to you, Daniel. We'll do it again this week, brother. God bless. Take care. God bless. Daniel Horowitz with us from Conservative Review, taking us inside politics each and every week here on The Steve Day Show. You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberty has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. This is Steve Dace. Well, I know this time of year, a lot of worthy causes are asking for your help. And this Christmas, we're going to try and help the worthiest cause of them all. And that is the gospel. Over 2 million children in the Middle Eastern's refugee areas are dislocated in the area of Lebanon due to threats of terrorism and war, and we're trying to give them the gospel. We're trying to reach children like Amy. You would be hard-pressed to find refugees in Lebanon who have not experienced terrible loss. And it's the children who have suffered the most. Fleeing the terror of war, many have lost one or both of their parents. For Amy, it was her uncle, killed as he tried to flee Syria. Her wounded father is no longer capable of working or supporting the family. Heart for Lebanon met Amy in a refugee camp. Desperate for help and in great need, she was invited to attend the Hope Center in the Bekaa Valley. And that's where her life-changing transformation began. The school that I used to attend was not treating us well because we are refugee children. But I thank God for this school because it is drawing me closer to God and is teaching me about Him. The tens of thousands of refugee families in Lebanon are considered outcasts. 52% of all refugees are under the age of 18 and most have been out of school for several years. These kids, roaming the tent cities in despair, are targeted by radicals, exploited and recruited by criminal gangs for terrorist groups and sex trafficking, unless we help. Your gift of $98 brings the gospel to 18 of these kids, and at the Hope Center, Heart for Lebanon welcomes them to be part of a genuine faith community. We must rescue these children for Christ before someone else captures them for evil. Please, be as generous as you can. I love the Hope Center because it has introduced me to Jesus.
your gift to Heart for Lebanon is going to bring the gospel to children like Amy. In fact, we can reach 18 children like Amy with the gospel for only $98. Your one-time Christmas gift of $98 helps bring the gospel to 18 refugee children just like Amy with stories just like the one you heard. Please call 844-441-9966. That's 844-441-9966. Or go to our website, stevedace.com, right now. Click on the banner right now. Help us take the gospel to these children in Lebanon. 844-441-9966. Or our website at stevedace.com. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 here tonight on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up later in this hour, 101 tips for marrying the right person. This is a segment my wife is really looking forward to later on tonight, so we'll get to that a little bit later on. But I'm going to try and do this every now and then over the course of uh, however long it takes to to make this a movie. But given the overwhelming reaction we got from our audience uh, to the announcement on Monday that uh, my book, A Nefarious Plot, it's going to be developed into a major motion picture. I, I just thought it'd be cool, and other people would find it cool, if every now and then during the course of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, we I, so many people are huge movie buffs, as as, as am I. I, I. I go to all the fanboy, well, not all, but I go to a couple of fanboy sites, you know, to get caught up on, on the making of my favorite uh, genre movies, whether it's sci-fi or superhero adventure stuff, right? So I thought, you know, some of you at least would be interested in keeping you updated on what this process is like. Because I've never been through it before on the other side. I've only had a chance to see what the finished product looked like. And I'd be badgering you about it off the air, so we might as well just do it on the air. Sure. So today we had our first story conference call. And um, I really enjoyed myself. I mean, it was just... It was. I can see him, folks. It's true. I mean, it was just a it was just a ton of fun to to just sit there and contemplate how you can create make believe, right? I mean, that that was just and and right now, of course, I mean, we're going to have a budget and some of the a lot of some of the a lot of the information is proprietary and I can't talk to you guys about it, but whatever's not though, I will. Okay. So like I can't tell you what the budget for the film will be, all right. Um, other than I'll tell you it'll be in the millions of dollars, but I won't tell you what the I can't tell you what the budget is. But right now, since we haven't 
you know, gone after any particular cast members or anything yet. There's nothing to say no to yet. You know what I'm saying? And so this, so given that, this today was a blast to just have a blank canvas. You were like playing with your Star yes. Wars figures. When I was a kid. Yes. Yeah. You know, my grandma Myrna, God rest her soul, when I was six years old, she went into Sears Robux catalog Christmas 1978 and bought me, or when I was five years old, bought me the entire section. Even the, the Death Star when it was first out, right? The old Kenner toys. And so you could just sit there, and this is before you knew there was going to be an Empire Strikes Back and a trilogy, right? And so, I mean, I, I sat there that entire winter just creating my own Star Wars sequels with the action figures, you know, when, when it was too cold to go outside. That is what today felt like. And, well, Steve, I don't, some of you may say, well, Steve, I don't get it because it would seem to me the story's already been written. It has and it hasn't. If you've read a nefarious plot, you recognize that to make this a movie, there's a missing piece. You have the compelling story. You have, I think, at least I hope anyway, a very compelling vi- villain, right, that, is, that can hold an audience's attention. But you can't have him sitting there lecturing the, the audience for two hours in a movie, right? That, that is, that's going to get boring. That's going to get pretty boring real quick. So how do we create the circumstances by which he can take what he says in the book and has an excuse to hold an audience captive for two hours so that they will then listen to what he is trying to say to them? And that's what we bandied about today. And uh, I got to tell you, I was so inspired by the almost 90-minute call we had today that um, as soon as we got done, they asked me if I'd do it. I said, yes, as soon as we got done, I, I sat right down at the computer. And in about 90 minutes, just based off the conversation we had today, I came up with a seven-page story outline. Uh, not a script, because I've never written a script. I wouldn't know how to write a script. They, and, I, and I don't know if I'll write the script. I, I think I should not. I think they should go get a pro who has done it and let them do that. Um, because having read a few scripts, it's not the same as writing a book. It's not the same as writing a column. It's totally different. Okay, And it's a little bit like saying, because I'm a good coach in the NFL means I can coach an NBA team. Well, I mean, in some respects, you're coaching. Coaching's coaching. You're motivating players, right? But... When it comes to actually strategizing and taking what your ideas are and you want the, your players to carry them out, it, that looks a lot different on a basketball floor than it does uh, you know, on, on the gridiron. You know what I'm trying to say? So writing is writing is not true. This is, this is different than a long-form uh, you know, uh, book or even a column where you can um, expound on things a little bit more. So I did put together a, a story treatment. Now, they've not gotten back to me. With how I put everything together, I'm, I think it's pretty cool, but they may just think the whole thing sucks and scrap it. But um, I did share it with you two without giving anything away. Did you guys sense that, you know, the challenge of how we get, what are the circumstances that take nef- Nefarious's message in the book and put him up on the silver screen? Oh, the fact. It doesn't shock me anymore that you did what you did in an hour and a half, but I think it's going to shock. That your, only took an hour and a half. Yeah, your your friends o- over at uh, well, how are we? Who do we call it? One call them Believe Entertainment. Believe Entertainment. 
yeah, it is. Um, y- y- hey, listen, I I wouldn't say it. You know, I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. I, you nailed it. You nailed it. It is. It is the combination. Of, well, we nailed it because. Oh yes, half of, of course, it. But I took the, the, the ideas that they, several of which they came up with, and tried to put them together in a in a in one story. It's you managed to combine the cosmic and the personal, which is the essence of the greatest story ever told. That's what this is about. Each one of us inherently created in the image of Nikus and God, and this story that defies space and time. Uh, it, it was um, outstanding, and I'm privileged I got to hear about it this early. I mean. And that's why it's going to be neat for the audience to be able to hear this every once in a while, what's going on. Well, I wanted to run it by you guys before I send it off to a few professionals, right? You know, because everybody thinks their own uh, flatulence smells good, if you know what I'm trying to say, right? So I put this thing together. I'm like, I think this is pretty cool. Of course, I've never done one of these before. So just about any one of these I would have done, I would have thought it was pretty cool because I have nothing to compare it to. And to speak about the point about the uh, writing the screenplay, I think of it in terms of you base you have a lecture, a really good lecture. I mean, a lot of us will pay to go hear a fantastic hour long lecture on something we're talking about, but now you got to turn it into a song, right? And are we equipped to sit down and write exactly. a five minute song with exactly. the notes and the lyrics? That's challenging. Yes, but I'll tell you what, to the to the degree you you have zero experience doing that, you're singing, my friend. Yeah, it 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 um, again without giving anything away. Uh, This idea that you came up with initially, uh, it it sounded like something that had been in development. This this sounded like um, something that had been in development over years. This is like the the, um, piece of resistance or whatever, whatever that term is uh, for your career. But you did that in an hour and a half. I can't wait to hear. All I know is those guys put some gas in my car today when we had this call and all and the engine read and said, let's go. Let's yeah. let, let's go. And this will be one of those, like with uh, Passion of the Christ, as beautiful as that uh, movie is. Uh, and my oldest daughter uh, has now seen the movie, but it's a thing you prepare their whole lives oh, to we, see. Our this two youngest movie, have still not seen the movie. We didn't allow Anna to see it until she was over thirteen years old. This I, I let my oldest daughter see it when she was eleven because I thought she was genuine, and I I, I was right. She she was ready. Uh, but this movie, I bring that up because this is movie is going to be like that. You're not just going to take your 12 year old homeschooled Christian willy nilly to this movie. Are, are you going to? Are you ready to see the face of evil? Mm-hmm. Are you ready to feel manipulated? Because if this movie is done right, you're gonna you're gonna feel your own buttons pushed. What I really liked is one of the one of uh, the uh, gentleman who runs Believe said in our call today, he wants to make a movie that exalts the faith but it troubles people they're troubled by it when they watch it because it is it um it 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 shows you without a filter the consequences of 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 violating god's law why god has his law to stop these sorts stop these sorts of consequences from destroying uh the creation that he loves and and we talked about avoiding the temptation to make everything nice and tidy at the end. And one of the gentlemen said, you know, I want to throw a rock through the window of that paradigm. I and know. man, when he said that, it was like a portion of my brain that I have never accessed before. Suddenly, flame on. And that's when Happy I had to, place. Yes, <laughs> that just fired me up. So we will keep you up to date slowly but surely over the course of this movie making process. Stay tuned for more in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace.
Some people work for what they get, and some people ask for Uncle Sam to give it to them. Hello, but I deserve it. Decide who you want to be, and listen to the Steve Day Show. For something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. And this is the Nightly Buzz. We take a look back at some of the stories we missed that we don't have time to cover in the course of a three-hour show. But our producer, Aaron, says, hey... This is this is generating some buzz out there on uh, social media at the water cooler. So we should at least spend a few minutes discussing it. So he's got those headlines. We've got the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. Today is Pearl Harbor Day, and 75 years ago tomorrow, President Franklin D. Roosevelt delivered an inspiring, moving address to the nation, saying, "The facts of yesterday and today speak for themselves. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people." And their righteous might will win through absolute victory. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us, God. I can't add to that. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know what I could say that. Um, and they did. We did. Yeah, I just, I don't know what else I can say. I mean, that that was a mic drop. Well, it bears pointing out the end of that, so help us God. Uh, more than just uh, a lip service. I mean, nobody's confu- confusing uh, FDR with uh, Billy Graham. He is one of the uh, founding fathers of the progressivism that we deal with now. But nonetheless, the reason he could be so certain of good winning out over evil when they were still, you know, the blood, they were just cloaked in failure and in blood. But they knew good would win out. Well, there's one reason you can know that, and only one reason, is that the mighty hand of God is on your side and not against you. Well said. Next story. On Tuesday evening, the Ohio Senate passed a major piece of pro-life legislation dubbed the Heartbeat Bill. The legislation would ban abortions on babies with a beating heart which can be detected as early as six weeks. Now, critics of the bill are predicting it will be overturned. Republican senators are more optimistic in light of last month's stunning win of Donald Trump. Abortion advocates, of course, are outraged of the news. The bill will have an exception for the extremely rare case of a mother's life being in danger. Um. I think this is good legislation. It's well-intentioned legislation. I hope it passes. But I, I think you have to come to grips with the fact that they're going to lie. Okay? I mean, they're going to lie. The ultimate goal is, is, is what? The overturning of Roe v. Wade. Okay? We, we are going to have to, therefore, create an argument that would cause that question to be considered. That would cause that question to be considered. So we have to ask the question, what, what question causes that 
to be considered. When does life begin? What this bill is saying, and even though that's not its intention, its intention is to be good incrementalism. Its intention is to to say, it's, is, is, to, is to roll back the time period when you can kill a child. Because right now, you can walk in and to any, or you can kill a child at any time in America you want, provided you just say something's wrong with a mom. So, at any stage. Like three, three, three hours before your dude have delivery. That's all you have to say. All right, so, I mean, we have essentially abortion on demand as long as you just say that. What we are essentially saying with legislation like this, though, is that life begins when there's a heartbeat. Is that when life begins, gentlemen? No. To me, the only... If you guys, if you guys have another alternative, I mean, I, I have written on this topic, studied it, spoken on it as much as just about anybody I know has over the last few years. But I, I'm not, you know, all-knowing. I'm not omnipotent. I, I, I just, all my study tells me there isn't another question that we can beg that causes the reconsideration of Roe. Because remember, Roe originally was abortion in the first trimester. That was originally, that was the original Roe rule. Or, 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 and then it was expanded, of course, later on once they got the camel's nose under the tent. Well, if you want the overturning of Roe, then the question we have to settle is when does life begin? And so... Does anybody think this is going to stand up to judicial review for more than 48 hours? Do you, Todd? No. Aaron? No. Okay. So they're ju- they'll just find some federal judge somewhere to say this doesn't count. You're done. We know that the Republicans in Ohio will say, well, we tried to pass it, but the federal judges tell me we can't do it. We're screwed. Right? Because we can't ever, the judges, I mean, for whatever reason, they're the... Monster in the bed you were scared of as a kid. They're why you kept the light on at night, right? I mean, they are King Kong ain't got nothing on somebody who calls themselves a federal or Supreme Court judge in America. That is the single most menacing figure in all the land. They cannot be stopped. They cannot be contained, right? I mean, you can't kill them. Like Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, all and Freddy Krueger all rolled into one. The federal judge can't be stopped. Worst movie monster ever. So we know they're just going to find a federal judge somewhere like in a day or two or a month and it'll be gone. And then they'll appeal, appeal, appeal. They'll go to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court won't consider it. We hear, because we've been, have we gone down this road before? Have we done this before? If, and it wasn't a heartbeat. It was when does the fetus feel pain? I mean, just we've done this song and dance before. If we're going to put in this much effort and time, why shouldn't we do it then making our actual argument? That's all I'm asking. I'm, no one ever gives me a good answer to this. I'm just asking. I'm trying to figure this out. If we're going to put in this much time and energy, shouldn't we do it with our actual argument, Todd? With the argue, with the, shouldn't we invest our time, talent, and treasure in the question we actually want to ask? Doing that would be entirely... Uh, noble, it is absolutely called for. I will say one thing that, in terms of the science, and I'm not absolutely certain about this, but as a as a default, I, of course they will lie because people who are willing to kill babies will lie about everything. 
but it might be a moot point because based on the science now, we know that a baby can have a heartbeat as early as 16 days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, when you can, de- when and how you can detect that is something I would need to bone up on. But I think the simple fact of the matter is that you you wouldn't be able to lie about it because most women don't know they're pregnant until after mm-hmm. that science is true. So I you, agree. I don't think you could You're articulating lie. the reasons why I think this is good legislation right. and I hope that they pass so that, it. So that's the only point I, I wanted uh, to bring up. Now, for that, what I'm saying to be germane would be we would need to be people who would look at those courts that you're talking about. Yes. You know what? I'm going to impeach you. Because this is nonsense. We would need to be persecuting, prosecuting this philosophy far broader than the science I'm talking about. That's the only way it works. Agreed. The problem is we're trying to we're trying to regulate liars at the same time we we just let courts make up law at the same time. Yes. That's why we can't win. We, we can fight one or the other, but not both. To Steve Dace. Knowledge is power. I've seen what it can do, and I want to learn more. Gain more knowledge right here. It's the Steve Day Show. Well, my wife is really looking forward to this conversation tonight. 101 Tips for Marrying the Right Person. Dr. Jennifer Morse is the author. She joins us now. And uh, Dr. Morse, it is a pleasure to have you with us here on the Steve Day Show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Subtitle of the book is Helping Singles Find Each Other, Contemplate Marriage, and Say I Do. Are there still singles out there that want to say I do, Jennifer? Because there's some daunting numbers out there where that in that regard. Well, I, it's my observation, Steve, that most young people do want to get married and stay married, but the reason they're not doing it is because they're scared and they don't know what to do. A lot of young people have already been through divorce before they ever get started. They've been through two or three of their parents' divorces. So they they long for lifelong married love, but they're uh, nervous about it, and that's part of the reason that uh, my co-author and I wrote this book. How do you How do you know? What is the standard for finding the right mate? How do you know? <laughs> well, we give, well, we give 101 tips for knowing who the right mate is. I mean, there, there are certain things that are deal breakers, and there are some things that are, we call them uh, red flags, points to ponder, things to consider, but they're not necessarily a deal breaker, but you need to talk about them before you go into it. And so I think a lot of what we do here is to try to open people's eyes to say, well, okay, this other person's got some problems. That doesn't mean that they're the wrong person for you necessarily, because everybody's got problems when, when you really look at it. So we're trying to help people walk their way through some of those things that uh, that could be problems, uh, but uh, but but maybe things that you can work through. So I mean, if you're dating somebody and you're over at their pad and um, you drop something, and when you go to pick it up on the floor, you notice under their bed uh, there's a giant blood splattered pentagram. Would that be one of your red flags? Do you think, or do you want to be more open minded? I think that would be a big red flag. You do? Okay. Unless you've got a big red pentagram under your bed, in which case you probably wouldn't be reading Well, well you, may have, you may have found your soulless mate, right? You found him right there. There you go. But, <laughs> I, I mean, my, my, I guess what I'm trying to say in a snarky fashion, other than is this bad, 
is there are are there things unique to because my wife and I do look around all the time and wonder what it must be like to be single in this era and we're about to have yeah. uh, we've uh, you know we've got three kids and our oldest is a teenager now and she's looking forward to her 16th birthday in a few months because our the rule in our house is you have to be 16 years old to date um and so you know we're we're thinking about these sorts of things now so are, are there non-negotiables that are unique to this generation that, that maybe weren't dilemmas previous generations had to deal with? Well, Steve, there's no question that this generation has problems to deal with that people have not had in, in previous generations. One of the big ones being pornography. Uh, pornography is, uh, is endemic. It, it's everywhere. Lots of people have pornography issues, and we, we do talk about that in, in the book, that if, you, if you've met someone and seems like a really good person for you, but there's pornography... Uh, in the picture, you need to deal with that now. Uh, as we say, do you want to deal with it now before you're married, or do you want to wait until your 10-year-old finds your porn stash on your computer, you know, um, on your spouse's computer? Deal with it now. So that's something I didn't have to deal with when I was looking for a mate, you know, and, and ages past, nobody had to deal with that. People have to deal with the problems of that are associated with premarital sex. Um, we talk about that a little bit, too. We don't realize it, but having sex with somebody does not help you figure out whether they're the right person for you. It actually clouds your judgment quite a bit. So we encourage people to not do that. If you're really serious about getting married, you've got to keep your hands on the table and your feet on the floor, you know. Um, so there are a number of things like that that I do think present unique challenges to this generation. No question about it. Dr. Jennifer Morris is here with us. She's the co-author of a new book, 101 Tips for Marrying the Right Person, Helping Singles Find Each Other, Contemplate Marriage, and Say I Do. And uh, I first heard about Jennifer, uh, boy, this is almost 10 years ago now. I was at a pastor's house for dinner, and you actually came in and spoke uh, to the group and um, was very impressed. So I've, I've followed your work uh, whenever I've had the chance uh, ever since. And when we oh, come, well, I, I, I think you do some great stuff. When we come back, well, I, I, I want to have, if we can, as much and politely and respectfully as we can, but since we've already broached the pornography question, I want to have a very blunt conversation about how sexuality in our culture and how that it may or may not inhibit the development of healthy relationships. Can we do that when we come back? Sure. Because I think my Amy and I, that's my wife's name. We talk all the time. There's this elephant in the room that a lot of the time the church doesn't want to address. So I want to talk about it when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. You can take the scraps the Democrats want to give you. But I like it here. They let me eat anything that falls on the floor. Or you can work for more. This is the Steve Day Show. All right, back here with Dr. Jennifer Morris, co-author of the book, 101 Tips for Marrying the Right Person, Helping Singles Find Each Other, Contemplate Marriage, and Say I Do. And uh, Jennifer, my wife Amy is actually beginning to go into your line of work. Uh, she's getting involved uh, in uh, marriage and counseling, particularly biblical counseling, and she's finishing up her education, and she's doing uh, some initial counseling with uh, some folks already. And uh, 
because of both of our backgrounds before uh, we came to faith, her specialty area is sexual dysfunction. And so this is something that gets discussed a lot at, at home because she talks about what she's studying and, and what she's involved in. And I, I bring this up because I, I just want to give you a couple of things I go through on a daily basis as a man in this culture. So yesterday I get locked out of my email and um, I call and, and the company that hosts my email server serve, server sends me a note, say, hey, call this number. And, and you never know if, if you need to, if it's spam, if someone's trying to you know, troll you or get your private info right. So I go on Twitter and I, and I type in the name of my email company uh, into the search engine to see if there's some kind of outage or something going on. Uh, it's a well-known email company, to, and, and because if there is, then there's no need for me to call. They're just having a technical issue, right? It should be harmless. I, I scroll down through the, 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 the search feed on Twitter of, uh, of tweets. The third tweet referencing this company's name is a pornographic image of a man sodomizing a woman. In fact, this went on. We were in the studio when I was, we were doing the show when this happened. I could not believe this went on last night. I take my son to the mall. He's going to be 10 in February. And we have to avoid the Victoria's Se- the route where, where the Victoria's Secret store is because they literally have a mural out front a f- that's essentially wall-sized of a woman basically dressed with, with paste, essentially in stripper garb, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not a prude. In fact, I have pr- too many people in my audience probably would prefer me to be more prudish. Um, I don't know about you and your husband, but you know, my wife and I had our kids the old fashioned way, right? So, I mean, I, I, we're not prudes, and, but on, on one hand, I don't know how you can have a successful marriage if you have sexual dysfunction because that is such a key component to marriage in general. But in particular in this era with how sexually saturated we are, on one hand, how hard is it to have a sexually functional marriage, given that saturation? On the other hand, if you don't have one, the temptation available with that saturation makes it even harder. So you sort of have this chicken and the egg problem with marriages, in my view. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you've said a lot here, Steve, and uh, it's hard to, you, you can't deny that our culture is just soaked with pornographic images. And what we're really being promoted What's being given to us is an image of human sexuality that's really divorced from human relationship, and that's why it's so unsatisfying. You know, we we look at a we look at an image, we're sexually aroused by an image, but we don't know the person. We're not engaged with the person. We're not in any way invited to be engaged with the person. We're just being stimulated at the most primal level, uh, at the level of our appetite. You know, our sexual appetite is being is being aroused, and so what. Even if you live that way, I mean, you referred to your life prior to coming to faith. My husband and I did all kinds of things uh, prior to my conversion that we really shouldn't have done. In fact, I even say that in this book, you know, that I, I know for a fact that cohabitation doesn't work because I, we did it. You know, we lived together before we were married. So I know that the studies are true that show you that it, that it doesn't work. But the problem is we're being given an image of sexuality that is so incomplete and really in human, you know, it's more of an animalistic view mm-hmm. of human sexuality, mm-hmm. um, that it doesn't satisfy us. When we get married, we finally do want to really give ourselves to one person and, and be faithful to them and have a happy marriage. We don't know how to do it because we've been practicing all the wrong things. How about the emphasis on self-actualization, 
self-esteem. Completely stupid. Completely stupid. <laughs> and, and, mean, and, and marriage requires, for fulfillment, requires a oneness, right? Well, how do I achieve oneness when, it's, when I'm told up until the point I get married that I'm a precious little snowflake and the world would melt without me and everything's about me? How do I do that? <laughs> Actually, I'm going to melt. If the world doesn't conform to 100% to my specifications, I'm going to melt. Well, that, you're always very fragile, you know. If, if your happiness depends on getting your own way all the time, you're, you're, gonna, you're always going to be fragile. And if you think that you're the center of the universe, well, that's fine. You can be the center of the universe. It just happens to be a very, very small universe and not very interesting universe. Um, and and the, the truth that Christianity has always taught, Steve, is that, is that the human person is meant for love. That's how we find mm-hmm. our greatest satisfaction. That's how we find our true identity, is in loving one another. Well, you can't love another person if you're looking in the mirror all the time mm. or you're worried about yourself all the time. You have to step out of yourself and be giving of yourself. That's how you find love. And so that's one of those great paradoxes of the Christian religion. It's in giving that we receive. It's in dying that we're born to eternal life. You know, all those type of paradoxes um, very are very, very relevant to having a, a happy married life. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't aware of that, and that, that's why we're in business. That's what the Ruth Institute's all about, Steve, <laughs> is to uh, help people be aware of those things. I've got just about a minute here, Jennifer. Is there is there a place where this generation has advantages that previous generations didn't have? Uh, advantages? Well, I think materially, a lot of people are better off than their parents were in some respects. Um, and... We have, you know, we, we have many technological advantages and material advantages and health advantages and things like that. But there's a, there's a big divide in our culture between people who, whose parents got married and stayed married and then people whose parents did not do that. And that kind of divide is getting bigger mm-hmm. in our culture. And that's something I think earlier generations didn't have to deal with. So if people want to learn more about 101 Tips for Marrying the Right Person, and we also have another book called 101 Tips for a Happier Marriage, um, you can go to the Ruth Institute, uh, ruthinstitute.org, or you can go to our Ruth Institute Facebook page, and there's plenty of information about all of these topics in in either of those places. Ruthinstitute.org, and you can look them up on Facebook as well. Jennifer, thank you for joining us tonight. Dr. Jennifer Morris, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take care. Gentlemen, your quick thoughts on what we just heard from Dr. Jennifer Morse? Well, from my own personal experience in marriage, you, you, you never, are never fully prepared. And she conversations, frank discussions like this, get you prepared as best as you can. I can testify there's a lot of people in my generation who are afraid, but I think uh, more of us need to understand that. You're listening to Steve Dace. Jenner's favorite program. Call me Caitlin. This is Steve Dace. Well, you know, there's been a lot of discussion and debate throughout the course of this year about how to handle the refugee crisis in the Middle East. Let's face it, we're dealing with a lot of adults who could be potential security risks, and our friends in Europe have been going through the tragic consequences of this process throughout the course of this year. But that doesn't mean 
even though there's legitimate concerns about how many of these people we can import, that doesn't mean there's a lot of children that still aren't caught in the crossfire of war and terrorism. And we have a chance right now to help children just like Ellen. Ellen was depressed, angry, and living in despair, a long way from the home she loved. At first, we had stability in Syria. But after the war started, I lived in fear every day for myself and my family. We wanted to stay, but soon realized that we had no choice but to escape and leave our home. Millions of refugees have faced the same reality of having to escape in the face of war and terrorism. For Ellen, this change proved more difficult than she ever imagined. Traveling for miles by foot, trying to escape with all my children was very dangerous. We lived in daily fear of ISIS ambushing us on the roads, and that journey was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. What Ellen never expected, though, was what awaited her and her family once they reached the refugee camp. It was there that she met Heart for Lebanon. I'm no longer angry or depressed. Ellen and her family also finally heard, for the first time, the clear truth of the gospel. We had heard about Jesus, but never learned about him. This is the most important thing to happen to me, to know Jesus. I didn't know Jesus as a savior, and now I come every month to Bible study and learn about the love of God. It is very different in Islam. We lived in fear. Christianity has taught me about love. And her children are learning about God's love as well. Enrolled at Heart for Lebanon's Hope Center, they're learning English, math, science, and like so many other refugee children, they've responded to the gospel and received Christ as Savior. Despair turned to hope. You make this happen when you give to Heart for Lebanon. $98 brings the gospel to 18 refugee children, but any amount will help. And please know this, when you give, lives are changed and entire communities of faith rise up out of the desert. Thanks for being as generous as you can. We can help Ellen right where she is. We can take the gospel to her through Heart for Lebanon. 844-441-9966. 844-441-9966. Or just go to my website at stevedace.com. Click on the banner to take the gospel to children like Ellen in Lebanon right now. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Hour number three is underway here on the Salem Radio Network. Thanks for tuning in to the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. 
Coming up later on, a little Worldview Wednesday as we're going to continue our series looking at lessons we learned in the 2016 election as taught by you, the voters, the American people. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Indeed it is three questions when our producer Aaron gets to ask us three things about any three things. Nothing is off limits. There is, though, one rule he has to answer the same questions to. Thank you, Steve. Donald Trump has appointed now two Republican governors to ambassadorships. That would be Nikki Haley from South Carolina. Uh, she will be the ambassador to the United Nations. And, of course, uh, Terry Branstad, the governor of Iowa, he'll be the ambassador to China now. And this is apart from him picking a Republican governor as his running mate. Is there some sort of strategy you can see here? Is it happenstance or am I reading way too much into this? It could be all of the above. Uh, when you're dealing with Donald Trump, I, I think uh, if you take a look at each case individually, I mean, well, first of all, you've you've had a lot of Republican governors get elected in this country in the last several yeah. years. So if you're if if you're looking to fill out a roster, I mean, if you've got a minor league, Todd, to use I'll use your sport, baseball. If you got if your minor leagues are stocked with prospects. And, you know, your your AAA team is winning a lot of games and winning their division in AAA baseball. Where's the first place you would go to look for when you have holes in your own roster, right? You'd like to call up guys from your own from your own team that have shown they can get the job done. So I think that's a factor. Um, if you look at each individual case, what's funny is I, a lot of conservatives in South Carolina, I know, think they're, they're going to get an upgrade. Uh, as, as well liked as Nikki Haley is, but they think the LG is more conservative than she is. And in that state, you can't be more. You can't be too conservative in South Carolina, right? So um, in, in that state, they're like, hey, we think that's going to be an upgrade. In in our state, I think that remains to be seen. I mean, Branstead's a total rhino squish. But this is his hand-picked LG. Kim Reynolds will take his place. Um, I've only met her a couple of times. You know, there are stories about her having meltdowns at, on the campaign trail. Um, on the other hand, there are people I know really well who have a lot of high regard for her. So I what will be fascinating is she's going to take over something that doesn't happen in Iowa a lot, which is total Republican control of state government. And there's really no reason for her not to give both what a lot of her more rhino, squishy people would want, as well as what the conservatives would want, particularly on defunding Planned Parenthood and and protecting religious liberty and things of that nature. The only reason she wouldn't do that, because it would benefit her politically to do so, the only reason she would not do it is if my contention that the only political party that hates conservatives more than Democrats is the Republicans, turns out to be true once again. But if she does, then I don't think she'll face a primary challenge in 2018, and I think she'll win an easy re-election. If she does not, 
because she won't have the built-in cachet. Terry Branstad got away with screwing conservatives because she's a really good politician. Treated most people well, traveled the state. And, and you're also talking about a guy people have voted for governor more than any person in American history, and they were just used to putting his name in. They're not used to putting Kim Reynolds' name in. So if she doesn't deliver for people, if, if she gets involved in the factioneering within the party and, and, and says, hey, we're not going to do anything for conservatives, then I think she's going to have a lot of problems. And, but I think that fate rests in her hands, Todd. Well, going back to the original question, plan, no. Does he look like a guy with a plan? <laughs> uh, do I look like I have a plan? As for, uh, if I, I know we're getting hyper-local, but as for Kim Reynolds, do we really think... The gal, and I, I have been at a, when I was at the register, covered a couple events he was at, and she follows him around, I mean, everywhere. She, yeah, but he's gone, dude. He's like on another, my, he, I mean, he's unreachable now, and he, he is, he'll be gone. She will be on her own. My that point would be being, fascinating. do we really think the gal who studied at the feet of the longest-serving governor in the history of this nation and who got where he is because he perfected the art of crony capitalism is going to be some sort of heroic social warrior. Not going. I'm not saying that's your contention. I, I, I want to be pleasantly surprised, but no. I'll say this: I think Trump's going to be better for social conservative social conservatism. Based on what I'm seeing so far, I think he's going to be better for that than George W. Bush ever was. The Jesus is my favorite philosopher president. Now, I think you're going to get just as big a government under George under 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 Trump that you would have gotten under George W. Bush. My point is, there's no reason why she cannot do both. There's no reason why she can't give the crony capitalist people that Branstead put her, can't give them everything they want. And then turn around and say to groups like the Family Leader, where we're broadcasting from here tonight, we're going to finally defund Planned Parenthood, we're going to protect religious... There's nothing in conflict between those two factions. The only, if, if she doesn't give each faction what they want, then the conflict is, I just disagree with you. And we will now know that once and for all, and it will be fascinating to watch. Am I optimistic? What do you think? I don't think you are. But no. I, I still but am I willing to let it play itself out? Yes. I'll, I'll happily, I, listen, I was happily wrong this year. I will happily be wrong again four months from now. Do I think I will be? No. Would I like to be? Yes. Yeah, I th- I think there is. I, I don't think there's much strategy, but I, I think there is um, the knowledge at least that, yeah, I mean, uh, well, uh, Republicans uh, at say state level and in governorships are having a lot of success. So if I can get myself a few governors to put in uh, these high-ranking spots, I'm I'm going to do that. Question two is a two-part question. Have you had a song stuck in your head recently? And if so, what was it? And the second part of this question. What was the best decade period of music? Now, you don't have to say the 2010s or the 60s or 70s, I, I, but I get, decade long. I get songs stuck in my head all the time. I mean, I had a couple songs from the Willy Wonka soundtrack stuck in my head. I had Isn't It Ironic by Alanis Morissette stuck in my head because I referenced it on Twitter yesterday. So no, there's barely a day goes by I don't have a song stuck in my head. Um, for me, best decade of mu- music is the 70s. I mean, when you look at... Um, I mean, it, it starts in 1970, where you have uh, the Beatles were in the, their prime. The Beatles, the let Led it be, Zeppelin, the final, yeah. the, their final album. Zeppelin, uh, Zeppelin steps to the forefront. 73, when um, uh, uh, the Who released the album that had Bob O'Reilly, and we won't get fooled again on it. 
the, the, the music of the 70s was so dominant, it even overcomes the stigma of disco, Todd. You're exactly right on all of it. And the more of driving in uh, to work and away from work at this time, I've heard a lot of Zeppelin lately for some reason. And just, wow, I continue to be amazed at who they were, what they did, the storytelling. It's ridiculous, quite frankly. So I, I think... I don't well, think of course you like it. They ripped off a lot of Tolkien. What do you, what do you, what do you got, Aaron? Um, I, I've, I've had Alan Parsons' Eye in the Sky stuck in You're my fired. <laughs> I mean, Alan Parsons' project, Eye in the Sky, it is... You're fired. And then before that, I had Year of the Cat stuck in my head as well. What is that? It's a song by Al uh, Wilson, I think. He's already fired, so now he's just... It's produced by... Letting it all go. <laughs> it's produced by Alan Parsons. And you guys were freaking spoiled in the 70s and 80s, too. Looking back at this and looking what I have now for music, I mean, good grief. It's a bunch of millennial whiny bull crap about how uh, life is so unfair and now they're self-medicating to get themselves through it. And then every now I and then... I take it over the Alan Parsons project. Alan Parsons project? That's like the only song that I know of his. Sirius and uh, Eye in the Sky. What's wrong with Alan Parsons Project, by the way? I'm not going to ask the question I would like to because it's highly offensive, so we will just oh. let it go. <laughs> what is the third question? Uh, and as always, if you want to ask a question to be considered on three questions, uh, you can email Aaron at Steve Dace, like Johnny Hunter, who uh, asked this final question uh, based on a scene in Elf when Buddy answers the phone at his dad's office uh, with uh, the words, Buddy, uh, the elf, what's your favorite color? What's the funniest telephone greeting you've ever heard? Um, wow. Uh, who dis? Or when everybody used to answer the phone in the 90s, like the Budweiser commercials? Wow. Like that. I guess I'll go with that. Todd? I gotta let you close. That was a dumb question. You're listening to Steve Dace. I personally believe... Elitism. Marxism. Atheist. Government intervention. Secular humanist. Liberals and conservatives. Materialism. Nihilism. U.S. Americans. Christian. Globalist. Socialist. Democracy. Worldview, as the word suggests, is how we look at the world around us. How do we understand life as it hits us in the face? Libertarian. Tea Partier. The free market. Nobody is without a worldview. The only question is, is it a good one or a bad one? So it becomes the glasses, the spectacles, the filter through which they're actually seeing life. And the whole universe and the world and human life is understood through that lens. This is Steve Dace. And this is Worldview Wednesday, your college philosophy class on the radio. And we, we talk philosophy in the third hour because we look at it this way. If you're listening to us this late, one of two reasons why. Either you can't sleep, in that case, philosophy's going to put you to bed. Or you can't turn your brain off and you want to get a jump start on tomorrow. In that case, you're about to be intellectually stimulated. Either way, every customer is satisfied because of this hour, which might explain why it's one of our more popular ones each and every week. And don't forget, we do love to know what you think about what we think here during this Worldview Wednesday. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address to do that. That's D-E-A-C-E. Let us know what you think. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Like us on Facebook. So, gentlemen, we've been doing this series uh, on lessons uh, from 2016, from the just-concluded election. 
And it seems like it was ages ago that this election concluded, but it was not even a month ago yet. But this is th- th- these are the lessons taught to us by the electorate, right? We have a government by the consent of the governed. Therefore, they're the ones that get to teach the lessons around here. And so we're looking at the lessons that are learned courtesy of what the electorate said to us on November the 8th. And this is a four-part series we've been doing here on Worldview Wednesday. In part one, we talked about the lessons the electorate was, uh, was, was trying to teach Donald Trump. In part two, we talked about the lessons we think Christian leaders have to learn from this election. And tonight, we're going to talk about the lessons we think the Republican Party has to learn. And then next week, we'll wrap up this series in our final week together before we head off for Christmas break. Uh, We are going to talk about the lessons the media has to learn from this election, which I know, Todd, is one in particular that you are looking forward to. But as we as we look at what the what the what the electorate was saying to the Republican Party this time, let's take a quick look back at the last two weeks as we've talked about both what voters said to Trump and what voters said to Christian political leaders. And what stood out to you guys about those conversations as we head into part three? Well, first of all, I'm looking forward to tonight's conversation quite a bit. But uh, focusing on on last week, um, I I think the overall tenor is correct that, yes, Christian leaders probably have more influence than maybe some of us uh, thought that they did. Surely it seems like they have more influence than I thought that they that they uh, did, but at the same time, uh, you have to be able to uh, not just leave this at uh, whatever victory this was for you. You have to be able to push and use your leverage um, now more than ever um, that you've uh, shown yourself to have. So it's an opportunity for Christian leaders and, and the church in general to use that leverage, um, but based on, um, on, on our past, I'm, I'm not sure if we have the stomach to do that. Yeah, be either hot or cold. Be not lukewarm. Uh, people want... Lukewarm is pretty easy, though. Well, and that's why... That's the, why we the, like to do the, it. The, the lessons that are being uh, taught here are that a lot of people, more than we thought, are fed up with it. And they're willing to try just about anything different, inter- including a midnight tweeting, uh, cussing, uh, th- three th- thrice-married uh, uh, president of the United States. So we'll see. Well, along the lines of what Todd was just saying, Aaron, there's a lot of things you could say about Trump, some good, some bad. The one thing you could not say, though, Aaron, is that he is lukewarm. Right. Right. And it's, I mean, that's, uh, we, we've talked about this uh, before on this show and uh, some of the podcasts that we do for Conservative Review, that uh, Trump really does know how to go on the attack. I mean, he is, it seems like he's always on offense. I mean, can you think of... I can think of maybe one or two times, and I'm saying maybe, that he was on the defensive throughout the primaries and the general election. And that does show you that people are attracted to being to, to bold uh, and, and new and, and fresh, even though, like you said, Todd, I mean, he's thrice married and he's got all of this uh, peccadillo. You, you, you just got so much baggage, but he at least gives off the aura of boldness, and that's, I think, why he won. And if they don't get a holy version of it— and, They'll take something else. And I think that segues nicely into what we're going to be talking about tonight with uh, the the message to the Republican Party, or what it should be anyway. As we get into this now with the GOP, do you think in a way we could almost cut to the chase here? And we'll we'll flesh this out more during the course of tonight's conversation. But do do you think in a way that it really just comes down to, even though we are... 
extremely hesitant to do so. We are left with no other option but to give you another chance. You better not blow it this time. Do you get the sense that that really is in a nutshell what voters said to the Republican Party on November the 8th? I don't want it to be true, but I think that's what it is because they've blown so many opportunities. But that's that's where I am, too, Steve, and I hate that because, as I just as I just said, they, they've blown so many opportunities in the past. But um, none of us expected this to happen. None of us expected uh, this to turn out. And I can speak for myself. No, no, nobody expected this. And so now we are in a period, a, tra- a period of of opportunity to actually um, redeem the Republican Party if the right appointments are made. I, I have very little faith in that. Uh, again, based on past performance, but um, this is—I I think that's an apt d- description. Yeah, and we were clearly too angry and frustrated to start something new out of whole cloth. It, 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 it was going to be a point of gun to the head. A lot of people think they have done that with Trump. That's, a lot of people uh, think that no. they have done something new, that this is really a third party. Uh, it may turn out to be that way, but but not yet. Your, this, instinct, this yeah. your instincts before the election about uh, the, 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 the old white man, the next guy— uh, that's not the way you put it, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, the, this is a party that nominates the, the old white guy with the highest name ID, the, the, yes, usually the, the, the most liberal name. political ideology with the closest ties to Wall Street um, and the business sector. And we had 17 candidates run. The, Tell me who f- – there was one candidate that was that person. Who was that? Donald Trump. That was Donald Trump. Yeah, the longer this particular conversation goes on, the more I'm talking myself out of giving the GOP another chance. Because this is, I mean, and people who think that this is something new, we've talked about this on the show before. Uh, This is not, this victory for Donald Trump is not something that can be repeated again, can it? I mean, unless there's some new information that I don't know about, this is not some sort of new winning party I, of course, we need to let things play out a little bit and, and see how he actually does when the governing begins. But um, based on what we've seen from from how he won, this was more of a repudiation of the other candidate and less of a of a new coalition forming for the Republican Party. Yeah, so he Donald Donald Trump is the kind of leader to kind of wake up the old dog and hopefully teach him a new trick. That's where we're at. But people just, I think, felt like they didn't have another option. That they were essentially given a false choice, which was to give a political party they've lost a lot of a lot of trust in another chance, or a third term of Obama, which they didn't believe anybody could afford. And so you do get the sense they they just simply said we 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 didn't really this this really wasn't much of a choice for us. Well, so don't blow it this time. Well, when your theology is as bad as both the evangelical church in the South and the Catholic Church in many places, you're not going to have much of an imagination. On that cheery note, we'll come back and continue with Worldview Wednesday here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberty's Bat Signal, the Steve Day Show. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down. 
All right, more Worldview Wednesday here on the Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. So we're continuing our series, Lessons Learned from the 2016 Election. And these are lessons we have to learn from the voters. And we've already talked about uh, the lessons that voters were sending Christian conservative leaders, that they were sending Donald Trump. We now talk about the lessons voters uh, want the Republican Party to learn from what happened on November the 8th. And it's like voters said, hey, even though you don't deserve it, we're going to give you one more chance, mainly because there isn't another option. The other option, functionally, at least in the minds of many, now, I don't believe in that false choice, as you well know, but I know a lot of people do, you know, so I have to live in the world as it is, not as I would prefer it to be. And the vast majority of salt of the earth people really thought their only two options were to try something that they were unsettled about. But on the, the but might work out versus something they know will will not because they just lived through it for eight years. But I think if you're the Republican Party, you have to make sure you understand what that really means for you. Essentially, voters are saying, "Hey, yes, I'm willing to procreate with you because you're the last man alive, and we've got to sustain the species." But that doesn't mean we're smitten, right? That doesn't mean that she's fallen in love. It just means nature abhors a vacuum. To me, the 2016 election here wasn't a whirlwind romance between voters and the Republican Party. I think it only confirmed that necessity, as Shakespeare once said, is the mother of invention. People just had to do what they had to do because they had to do something. In fact, you can almost hear the American people humming, if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with, as you were walking into the polling booth on November the 8th, right? How many of you looked at the ballot and thought, boy, I wish this guy was on the ballot instead or this woman was here instead? But alas, they're not. So what do I do? So you're talking like the two last people on the earth and we have to repopulate the species. This is where we're living. And you just stomach it and get on with it. I think now now I tell you I'm not for flawed binary choices that although that actually what you just articulated is a real binary choice there's two people left on earth one is male one is female the species will expire unless they perspire right so that now is a binary choice we agreed agreed now whether this election (laughs) met that threshold the only one (laughs) okay whether this election met that threshold or not we don't believe that it did but we respect the fact many of you did and you were thinking along these lines when you went in there. And, and even though we don't agree, we don't, act, we don't believe that there's not legitimate reasons why you did think this way. So we hope that it works out. Republicans, it seems, just had the good fortune of being there at closing time when the majority didn't want to get stuck going home with Hillary Clinton after closing hours, after they said last call. So congratulations, GOP, your risk-nothing, do-nothing strategy to wait out the Obama era, give him everything that he wants, fund it all, while complaining about it at the exact same time. It worked. Now, not for the reasons that you wanted it to or that you made it, but because voters just were simply left with no other option. And because of that, Republicans are now running the show in Washington, D.C. But that also means the era of the surrender caucus must be over. It must be. There are, there's no more straw men, guys. There's not, there really isn't. There, there's not any credible straw men out there, right? There's, there's no reason you can't do something meaningful for the American people. There's no, no time to be progressive light. And the problem you have with straw men argument 
is that's really the only argument Donald Trump knows how to make, and he makes it so well, that he's going to, whatever, whatever fake straw men may still exist, he's going to lay claim to them before you even conjure them up, right? And we've even seen this in the transition. So there can't be a repeat of the George W. Bush years. Oh, yes, you, you must remember those. If you're a Republican, that's when they gave us more guns and butter than even Lyndon Johnson could have shaken a stick at. We literally had the biggest government in American history until the one we're about to be rid of in January. And that is a Marxist. I mean, the current president is a Marxist. And the last Republican president had a bigger government than anybody that's ever been in the White House except him. Our chief accomplishment, or I should say, I'm not a Republican anymore. Your chief accomplishment as Republicans was inventing Medicare Part D, which set the stage for much of what followed under Barack Obama. Because as we say on this show all the time, bad Republicans lead to worse Democrats. So it's clear voters are saying to the Republican Party, don't repeat what went on a decade ago in the Bush years. More on that in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. You cannot stop him. You can only hope to contain him. This is Steve Dace. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow. More Worldview Wednesday here on the Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Continue our series, Lessons Learned from 2016. So these are the lessons for the Republican Party, which is right now you have a mandate. I always think it's funny after someone wins an election, do they have a mandate? Well, you just won. Yeah. Now, is it a sweeping mandate? Is it a mandate with a small M or a capital M? But if you won, you have a mandate. Right. This is where I know when I said this during the election it irritated a lot of you, but this is now where this what I'm about to say works in your favor. Remember, I said during the election there wasn't a vote against option. Did you guys have that on your ballot when you went in to vote? No, no. It gave me of choices of people to vote for. Didn't say I could vote against anybody. Said I had to vote for someone. I looked. I also looked for burn it down. Yeah, neither one was there. Um, In fact, burn it down didn't even qualify as a write in in my state. So I didn't go there either. But but. Now you can use my logic, which was irritating you about six weeks ago. Now you can use it to your advantage. So when your liberal friends say Trump doesn't have a mandate, I, you, you tell them. Use my line now. You tell them. Really? Because when I went in there, it asked me who to vote for. It asked me who to vote against. Tell me who to vote for. I voted for Donald Trump. So did 63, 63 million Americans for 300 plus electoral college votes. So guess what that means? They were voting for him and his ideas. When someone, when you get a majority of the people that vote for you and your ideas, what do we call that? A mandate. And, and Republicans have a mandate not just in Washington, but nationally. Heck, Republicans are one state away from having control of enough state legislatures to hold a convention of states and amend the Constitution themselves. 
And why? Because the American people have grown beyond frustrated with progressivism's empty utopian promises. They know that this doesn't work. So here this, here's the thing, though. Republic, or, or Americans really have no idea what they truly stand for as an alternative. Do you know? Does anybody know? I mean, people hated Obama's auto bailout. Hated the TARP bailout of the banks even more. Trump's carrier bailout is at 60% favorable today. So do we really know? No, we don't know. And the reason why is because other than the contract with America in the early Reagan years, nobody has actually tried to govern on conservatism in, a gener- in, in almost a generation. Which means people my age and younger, I'm 43, they were either too young to remember those days or they weren't even born yet. Uh, it's, so it's, it's time for the Republican Party now to go big or go home. Because I think the American people will send the Republican Party home if they don't deliver. Now, let me clarify what that means, because I, I don't believe that this country is, is ready to embrace limited government on a fundamental level. I think, they're willing, I think they want smaller government, but smaller government other than what the Marxists gave us does not necessarily mean limited government, right? Smaller government could just mean, you know what, um, I can handle it if, 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 if you're playing ball in the backyard and you break one of my windows. I can pay for that out of my own pocket. But when you break three or four, it's too expensive. I need you to, have, I need you to break fewer windows. You know what I'm trying to say? I, I, like I don't think they're ready yet for fundamental limited government. Too much faith still in government. But I think they did learn that ultimate faith cannot be placed in government. So I think they're ready for things to be streamlined, maybe smaller on a, on a, on a surface level. But fundamental limited government they're not ready for. To get them ready for this, you're going to have to govern successfully on streamlined, smaller government. You're going to have to show, we have to take steps here. You're going to have to show that that's even achievable. Because if the Republicans don't get it right this time, I think the Democrats are going to return with a vengeance. And they're going to run somebody more charismatic and less Caucasian than Hillary. Or they'll find their own Jeff Bezos who's a Donald Trump type, but without all the moral baggage, right? Charismatic pop culture business icon. And they'll run with Bernie Sanders ideas. And they'll go for the progressive checkmate. Because you will have shown the American people again that not even, not even when expectations are basement dwelling. Right now, you just had to not be Hillary Clinton and we were going home with you tonight. And so, st- and then, w- and still, once we got through the front door, you still could not meet our expectations. All right, if you cannot meet these expectations, you know what people are going to come to the conclusion of? Well, maybe the left is right. Maybe Obama should have done more. Maybe the problem, maybe why Obama disappointed us is he didn't go far enough. So if you can't show them that rolling anything he's done back works better for their lives, the regulatory state, the repealing of Obamacare, right? Uh, the lessening of the tax burden. If you can't do some of those things, the protection of free speech and freedom of conscience and religious liberty, if you can't do even a streamlined Cliff's Notes version of, of of what the founders originally intended, if you can't handle, if you can't handle, not we're not even at kindergarten with what I'm talking about. This is like Head Start, guys. If you can't handle the Head Start version of of limited government, if you can't manage that these next four years, then the country's just going to say, you know what? Yes, comrade, give us the full Monty. That's what I think they will do. 
because people will come to believe there is simply no way to govern as conservatives because Republicans have never proven otherwise. Now, lest people think I am being alarmist here, and, and in the new year, that's going to be one of my New Year's resolutions, to be less alarmist. Because I do feel convicted that people in my industry, myself included, talking about maybe went too overboard in, in the precarious state we were in, which helped sow the seeds for some of the fake news and mind-numbingness we saw in this election. But understand, the other side's going to double down and triple down on progressivism. I mean, they're thinking about making someone who equated 9-11 with the Reichstag fire as the face of their franchise for the next four years. So they're not going to move to the middle at all. They're not going to water anything down at all. No. Which means they will sit back, waiting in the weeds, waiting to see if you Republicans can do the job this time. Because if you cannot, then they are going to come back with a vengeance, unadulterated. And it will make Obama look like a moderate with what they will return with because they will feel emboldened because you failed the voters again. Listening to Steve Dace. For critical thinkers only, the Steve Day Show. All right, wrapping up tonight's Worldview Wednesday here on the Steve Day Show. Tonight's conversation, part three of our four-parter, Lessons Learned from 2016. Next week, we will have a target-rich environment in talking about the lessons the voters sent the media this election. But, gentlemen, we just discussed the lesson or lessons that uh, I think voters sent the Republican Party. Your thoughts as we close this out. Well, everything you just said is why I think the uh, carrier deal is is actually pretty o- ominous. If you take all of these things in a bubble, it, it, a business is being helped, some employees are being helped, a part of a community near term might be helped. But the, you know, this is Terry Branstad, Iowa governor par excellence. This crony capitalism. And that's the stuff. Terry Branstead's also the most or the, the longest, longest serving ten, governor yes. in American history. And he loves this stuff. But this is not. Why middle, does he love it? Why? why because it's 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 the this, a, this select answer, I, country club that he likes to work in. And it has nothing to do with middle, middle America or conservatism. It's because the people love it and they reward him for it. That's what he loves about it. Well, the. A certain segment of the people, uh, en- not uh, enough to make him the longest serving governor in the history of this republic. But the, th- that's my point. They, if they love it, they are the same people that are voting for Donald Trump because they think they've been left behind economically. These two things don't meet in the middle. 
I agree they don't meet in the middle. This is the tension between populism and conservatism, and we've been talking about this throughout this election. It's why I'm saying I don't believe the country is ready for limited government on a fundamental level. But there are things they can do to make government smaller and streamlined and more efficient, and not in the phony consultant make it more efficient way, but I mean really make people's lives better, like the repealing of Obamacare and replacing it with something sane, right? Like the ending of the regulatory state. If they can do those things, then they will take a step in the right direction. If they cannot do those things, and all we get are deals like Kerry, that will set the stage for the other side. Because every time we see the Republican move party move left, Aaron, the very next election cycle, the public moves even lefter by, by giving the Democrats control. That's because they're a lot better at expanding government than the Republican Party is. They're, they're just better at it, and they're, they, they want to do... Uh, I mean, we talked about this, I think, during the general election with, um, you know, promises that were made about, um, I, I think it was uh, child care, uh, Ivanka's plan for child care. Uh, well, the left's always going to come back with, well, why are you only doing this much? We're going to do this, 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 and this more. They're just better at expanding government, which is why I think you're right, Todd, that this carrier deal, this is not a good sign at all. If there's more of this, if the new if the Republican New Deal is coming, then our... Um, our future oh, is looking very bleak. Oh, there will be much more of this. Yeah. The question will be, will it be accompanied by anything that makes government smaller on any level? That will be the debate. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.